2: Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome to another edition of Inside Arsenal. It is Friday. The weekend is nearly upon us. In fact, for some of you watching this weekend probably is already going to be upon you. So I hope you all have a fantastic time. And it is a weekend, of course, with no Arsenal because we are slap bang in the middle of the international break. It's really sort of started to get underway the last day or so. We'll talk about that in today's show. Big, big night for Gabriel Martinelli over in Brazil, scoring his first International goal. They did go on to lose that game to Colombia. A pretty emotional night. It was in Colombia as well for Luis Diaz. So we'll talk about that game. David Raya's made his debut as well. Got some questions, comments from you guys. Ivan Tony's in the headlines at the moment, an Arsenal target. Um, he's in the headlines at the moment for his potential future. We'll have a bit of discussion about that. But first of all, this is what I wanted to start on today. This is why, everyone, you should never sort of commit to doing something or not doing something. Uh, And this is why. In yesterday's show, I said I made a promise. In yesterday morning show, I did do an an evening show as well with Sam Dean from The Telegraph where we discussed Arsenal season so far. If you haven't watched that yet, you can find that in the channel or on your podcast. But on the morning show, I said, that's it. I'm not going to talk about the whole Newcastle incident, VAR shambles again. And... I am now going to do that. A day later, I'm going to talk about it again. Not so much about the VAR, although I'm sure I'll probably spill into that, but because of course there has been big news. But as you can see here, Garfield Stewart and Gunnar Mac both bring it up in the comment sections. And I'm sure you will talk about VAR in the Newcastle game on Friday. And as Gunnar Mac pointed out, it looks like we will indeed hear more from you regarding the Newcastle PGMOL PGMOL fast. Now that MA has been charged by the FA, I'm fully behind my gaffer and the club. We shouldn't back down to these farcicles. And that is, of course, in relation to last night, it was confirmed that Mikel Arteta has been charged by the Football Association for his comments following that defeat at Newcastle when he was talking about the match officials. Uh, The charge, the FA statement, said Mikel Arteta has been charged with a breach of FA rule E3.1 following comments he made in the media interviews after Arsenal's Premier League game against Newcastle on Saturday, 4th November. It's alleged that his comments constitute misconduct as they are insulting towards match officials and or detrimental to the game and or bring the game into disrepute. Mikel Arteta has until Tuesday, November the 21st, to provide a response to this charge. So, there you have it. Mikel Arteta's comments after the game where he just labelled the incidents as a disgrace and an embarrassment. Um, that is insulting towards match officials or and detrimental to the game. And it brings the game into disrepute. Yes, that's what is detrimental to the game. That's what brings the game into disrepute it is Mikel Arteta, quite rightly, labelling the whole thing as embarrassing and as a disgrace. It's taken about two weeks or three weeks for the FA to come up with this, to come up with this charge. I know they've been looking very, very closely at it. I thought, I was was interested to see how they were going to do it because when you actually look at what Mikel Arteta had to say, you kind of looked at the comments on paper and you thought, how are they going to charge him with that? Because he's not really... Completely called out the officials in an individual sense. He's not questioned their integrity. It's like, how, how exactly, from him just saying it's a disgrace and an embarrassment, how exactly is that going to be? How are they going to manage to charge him with that? I always knew they'd charge him. It was always going to happen. Of course, it was going to happen, but it was just, it was trying to work out how to do it. And this is how they've done it. In the end, it comes up to saying that his comments constitute misconduct as they are insulting towards match officials and or detrimental to the game which makes me laugh. It's like if there's anything detrimental to the game whatsoever from the whole thing it was the standard of officiating the standard of the use of VAR the complete disregard for the rules and that's what's detrimental to the game. But of course none of that no one none of the officials get um any real slap on the wrist for it none of them you know it was it's been plainly proved since that game that two red cards were missed, the Kai Havertz challenge and the Bruno Grimares, uh forearm. And so, you know, two huge decisions in the game. You could say Newcastle, you know, had Havertz been sent off after half an hour, they'd gone and win that game quite comfortably and the Bruno thing doesn't happen, but that wasn't given. And then straight after that, Bruno did, isn't given, you know, if that gets red card, then Arsenal go on and win that comfortably and nothing else, you know, the whole goal goal debate doesn't happen because that probably doesn't happen in the match. So that's what's detrimental to the game. That's what the FA need to be looking at here. But oh no, they're going to take a really big stand. And we've heard now it's been drip-fed out into different parts of the media now that they're going to take a really strong stance on this in the future, and really cut back to try and stop clubs doing this as well. We, we, Simon Collins at the Standards reporting that Arsenal themselves are not going to be charged with the FA for their statement. It's just Mikel Arteta who has been charged. But the FA, apparently, are, as I said, are going to take a really hard stance now to try and clamp down on these. Uh, dreadful managers speaking the truth about officials and clubs releasing statements backing their managers. Yes. Um, you know, I've had my say on this a lot of times. Like keep saying this has been a missed opportunity from, from the football world, the wider football world for everyone to come together and make a bit of a sort of United stance on this, but it all got very tribal afterwards, understandably because this is football and, you know, people started to sort of mock Arsenal for it, mock Arteta for it. And, the The media a lot of friends in the media of pgmol and people who have got invested interest in pgmol all sort of took their stance oh and anti arteta anti arsenal this is dreadful must be stamped out of the game rather than the official the poor officials being stamped out of the game and improved um and that's what needed to happen it wasn't we've missed a trick now it's gone back to normal this has all been swept under the carpet arteta is going to be the guy who gets a either a ban or a fine or a warning over his future conduct. He's got until Tuesday to decide what to do. I hope he I hope he doesn't back down. I really hope he doesn't back down. I hope he goes a full distance with this. And if he has to take a touchline ban, then he takes a touchline ban because I feel he's absolutely in the right here. It's interesting that as of yet, nothing's happened with De Zerby. Um, You know, Deserby came out in the media, I think last week after the game, basically he said he hates 80% of all match officials in England. He just doesn't like them, doesn't like the way they act. I've seen no... You know that hasn't those comments, which are far worse than what Arteta had to say. Arteta was talking about an individual moment in a game, labelling that as a disgrace. You know, Zerbi's had a personal attack on officials. I wait to see if he does get banned. You know, it's taken the FA three weeks to ban, to to charge Arteta. Maybe it'll take him as long to charge Zerbi, But when you come out and say that, you know, you're you're literally labelling eighty percent of the officials as not nice people or the way they act. And you know, surely that's a lot worse than what Arteta had to say. But as of yet, we've heard nothing. and We've heard no. I haven't seen Jamie Carragher or Gary Neville or anyone jumping on their soapbox and absolutely slamming uh, Roberto De Zerbi for those comments, um, which is a bit odd. Uh, I see, you know, if anything's more detrimental to the game and more uh, insulting towards match officials, it's that rather than this, but I I don't want to see De Zerbi punished for it at all. Why should he be speaking the truth? But yeah, it's all a bit of a farce, as I've said. So, Hopefully that is the last time. I, actually, I won't say that because I'm probably going to have to talk about it when we find out if Arteta gets charged and, I mean, gets banned and we'll see what Arteta's reaction is. So, so I'm not going to say I'm not going to talk about it again because I probably will. And I made that mistake yesterday. But uh, but yeah, so that's the latest when it comes to Mikel Arteta. Okay, moving on to actual sort of footballing matters ye- yesterday and just an amazing game story, overnight, memorable moments, Brazil versus Colombia and World Cup qualifying uh, Brazil losing the game 2-1. Gabriel Martinelli starting uh in the absence of Jesus and Rashadlesson scoring after four minutes. A really, really good goal. If you haven't seen it yet, go and find it. It's a really good goal from Martinelli. Him and Vinicius, the link up play down the left hand side, really, really smart. Martinelli gets it, you know, deep inside. Well, just at, sorry, just towards near the halfway line, but way out on the touchline. Runs down the left, cuts inside, lays the ball off to I think it was Vinicius. Vinicius Sort of back to Martinelli, a lovely little flick from Martinelli to Vinicius, and then back to Martinelli. He scores, with a lovely top, finished brilliant goal. The link-up play is absolutely fantastic, and just a memorable moment for Gabriel Martinelli on only his second start for his country, scoring his first goal, and just is another sort of notch on the amazing journey that Martinelli's been on since Arsenal took the decision to take him out of Brazil as a you know relatively unknown teenager. And then his star has just risen and risen. The trajectory, his career path has been on, just been going in one direction. And this is another huge moment for him. And it looked for a long time like it was going to be a winner. That was a very early goal. And Brazil led until the 75th minute. But then just how football writes its own script sometimes and just amazing stories. Luis Diaz, who, of course, has just been in the headlines so much recently because of what's happened to his father. His father was kidnapped and held hostage for so, so long. A really emotional time for Diaz, and uh, just his father just got released this week. And then Diaz goes and scores two goals in a matter of four minutes to turn the game on its head at home in Colombia with his dad in attendance. And Colombia go and win the game 2 1. Just an incredible story, hugely emotional. There's a picture if you're watching it on YouTube here of Luis Diaz's dad celebrating one of the goals. And um, you know, obviously, for Brazilians, it's you uh, <laughs> if you're a Brazilian watching this, I apologize for sort of. Eulogize it over such a fantastic story because you'll be disappointed that your country has been beaten 2-1 but I think in terms of a wider context of it all and how football can just write these amazing stories it was a you know a, a magical moment and the scenes afterwards with Diaz and the celebrations and his dad it was yeah it was very very hard not to not to feel something for that as I said I'm sure a few Brazilians don't but uh everyone else it was a it was a really bat- great moment for Diaz and his family but for Martinelli as well what a huge moment and Just brilliant to see as an uh, Arsenal fan, sort of watching the progress Martinelli's been on. A big night for David Raya as well. He um, made his full debut for Spain. 3-1 win against Cyprus. Looked like he was going to keep a clean sheet, but then Cyprus scored uh, pretty late on, about 15 minutes from the end. It was checked for VAR. Could have been brought out for a foul in the build-up, I think, but it was eventually given. But, yeah, big moment for David Raya, who's having a certainly a huge eventful season, started with Brentford, ends up at Arsenal, has been in this big sort of battle with... Aaron Ramsay, if you can call it a battle, you know, becomes Arsenal's number one and now makes his Spain debut. So, uh, yeah, very good times for him.
0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Okay, quickly on Ivan Tony, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it's just kind of speculation at the moment, but there's certainly stories doing around. I'm sure you've seen that Brentford are now confident they might get Ivan Tony to sign a new contract, which would certainly surprise me. Uh, and that they are adamant that he's not going to be sold whatever happens in January. That's obviously been the stance we've heard from Brentford for a long, long time. Now it Tony will not go, um, which doesn't surprise me. Why would you want to get rid of your star striker in January unless a huge, huge offer came in for him? Um, you'd just do it in the summer, surely, especially when he's been banned for the first half of the season. I don't think his value is going to drop too much uh, just in those six months because of his contract that if you sold him in January, that keep him to the end of the season. So I'm not surprised. What, a, what I would be surprised at if, if he does sign a new contract you know, all the signals are that he is absolutely ready for a move. He's switched his agents to try and, we thought, to try and make sure he could get this big move coming his way. So I'd be surprised if he signed a new contract, but fair play to him if he does. Uh, it would certainly protect Brentford. I wouldn't say that would necessarily mean he definitely stays there, but financially it would certainly protect Brentford in a big, big way. It means they could charge a lot more money than they potentially could do for him. Um, you know, whether Arsenal actually bid for Ivan Tony and go for him remains to be seen. Um, there's clearly an interest there because they're in the hunt for a striker over the next couple of windows. And Tony is a very good striker who could potentially be available. So, of course, they're going to be sort of looking or sending glances his way. But I don't think he's the the only target, if you know what I mean. I'm not even sure if they have sort of reached a conclusion as to who is going to be their number one target when it comes to a striker. But, yeah, interesting to see what happens with Tony nonetheless. Uh, a couple of questions and comments before I wrap this one up today. It's one from One Nation, an interesting one. Yeah, it says, in relation to ex-Arsenal midfielder Cesc Fabregas, what do you think of his new managerial role as interim boss of Italian side, Como in 1907? Uh, yeah, it, you know, really good move for Cesc, interesting move. It's one we've kind of been expecting. I think he's obviously been doing a lot of work towards his coaching, um, been doing a lot of that work at Arsenal with Mikel Arteta, working with the youth teams, working for Cesc Fabregas, working, sorry, for, uh, with Jack Wiltshire, in the youth teams he's spending a lot of time at Colney while he's doing those um, coaching badges he's made no secret that it's something that he wants to move into and this is his this is his first role I mean Como 1907 is obviously a club that he's heavily invested in that he's put his money into that he's gone there as part of this sort of sporting project that he's involved with and he's taken on the role as interim boss whether it ends up being permanent boss we'll have to wait and see but look, I think Seth Fabregas with the the incredible football brain he's got, the vision that he's got, what we saw demonstrated as a footballer on the play on a pitch. You know, I, I don't see why he cannot transfer that to have a hugely successful coaching career. You look at the players he's played with, you know, Xavi, um Alonso as well, of course, in the national team, Mikel Arteta uh, worked under Pep, all those things just makes you think he's gonna be another one of the kind of Pep disciples, isn't he? He's got and it's gonna be one of those type of players who have just learned amongst that core group of Spanish players from that time who could go on and be a hugely successful coach so I'd be I'd be absolutely not surprised if he ends up doing it and if he ends up over here in the Premier League before uh, you know in, in not that long amount of time so yeah good luck to Ces Fabregas hope it goes well and as I said it wouldn't surprise me at all if we do see him over on these countries as a coach in the near distant future a twisted soul 2002 says, Charles, what big money can we get for Ramsdale? A club just needs to offer 30 million and we will have to take it. There's no reason for a club to offer 50 million. Everyone in his mum knows Ramsdale wants to play and the situation is untenable. So the 30 odd million we get for Ramsdale will just go to secure David Rye's signature. Arteta is so confusing. He makes both amazing and shocking decisions. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about this comment when I was reading that. I was thinking, yeah, I mean, you've definitely got a good point there that there is that situation of clubs who are going to be interested in Ramsdale will be looking at and think well we don't have to offer over the odds because he's not playing at the moment but I still think that Arsenal will get more than 30 million for Aaron Ramsdale I think they have to get more for 30 million for Aaron Ramsdale um they're in no rush to sell for a start it's not like his contract's running down he's just got a big long-term contract so if they want to keep him they can keep him and if clubs offer money that is way below the um the asking rate for him then they Arsenal would be in a perfectly fine position to say no you know what we will keep him in Aaron Ramsdale it does become unhappy with it so um I think they get more I mean they're not going to get massive maybe they're not going to get 60 70 million for Aaron Ramsdale which potentially they could have done if he was playing at the time that they decided to sell him but I still think right now I would think they're beginning to getting closer to 50 million and 30 million for Ramsdale should they sell him just because of his contract length and because I think there'll be a big market for him when he does end up going, but I still don't think it should happen in January. I still think it's something that should be wait until the uh until the summer. And last one now, proper classic international break question. If you don't want to listen to it, then you can just switch off, of course. <laughs> but I wanted to answer it because uh, the real nostradonus has uh has put the uh the question in international break question from 1998 to 2008. What music was Charles listening to between 10 pm and 10 am? Uh, between 98 and 2008, very much trance. I was a big trance ed, uh on the clubbing scene across London, Camden Palace on a Friday night. I would uh, spend all my time there for a good, well, too long, <laughs> really. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I was a big trance head. I'd be at Turn Mills, Ministry of Sound, Fabric, all those clubs all the time. So trance was my thing. I was DJ'd a bit. I played at Ministry of Sound. I played at Fabric, uh, not Fabric, sorry, I played at Turn Mills. Sound Shaft at Heaven, uh, all those sort of clubs um, doing a yeah fair bit of trance. I wasn't, a, a, you know, playing in the main rooms or anything, but I did play a bit at that time. But I love my house music as well. Dave Seaman, Sasha, John Digweed, uh, all that stuff. My favourite trance DJs were Ferry Corsten, Armin van Buren, Paul van Dyke, John Double Fleming. But, you know, all, all that lot. Now I'm, I'm more into my house than anything, so I listen to a lot of John Double uh, Sorry, I listen to a lot of Dave Seaman, John Digweed, Sasha Still, all that sort of stuff. But I was very—I I had a wide range of music. I loved my indie. I loved my rock, my grunge. You know, I was a proper grunge kid when I came through as well. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, all that sort of stuff. Chili Peppers, and you know, I loved all that. And uh, uh, excluding the six big six in Stone Cold, Triple H, The Rock, Undertaker, Kane, and Edge, who was your favorite wrestler? Uh, I would say probably Chris Jericho. Loved Jericho. Loved his his entrance when he came from WCW to WWE. Uh, his entrance when he came up with the Rocks, just one of my favourite ever wrestling moments. Just brilliant memories. Um, so I loved him. know, yeah, Brett back in the day, uh, Ric Flair, all those sort of lots. But I'd say probably Chris Jericho out at the, the main WWE guys was my favourite. So if you're look, if you still watching, you're still listening after that little ramble about no non-Arsenal related matters, then thank you very much for watching. Do have a very good Friday wherever you are around the world. Enjoy the start of your weekends and I'll be back very, very soon to talk all things Arsenal once again.
1: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust new Custom Spray 5 in 1 gives you control with 5 different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies,